The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. What a strange last couple of moments in this game. Central Michigan trying the trickery with the kicker. The kick goes 10 yards and it's recovered by the Chippewas at the 42-yard line. It is scooped up by Jesse Kroll and the second opportunity gives the Chippewas the football. Unbelievable. No excuse for that play right there. And CMU with one timeout and 45 seconds can try to snatch a win on the road against the Hawkeyes. Hello Hawkeye fans, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeye star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's loss to Central Michigan and he previews the upcoming game against Minnesota. And Marv speaks with passion about playing Big Ten football for the Hawkeyes and what that means. This program also features the weekly Big Ten conference update. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs this year which include regular Brent Balbinat and Marv Cook, as well as Hawkeyes beat reporters and columnists, including the Gazette's Scott Docterman, the Hawkeyes' Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Also, be sure to check out Brent Balbinat's Press Box Report and both of the reporters' notebook shows. The Iowa Central Michigan game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network, with announcers Kevin Kugler and Danan Hughes. A nice job in both play-by-play and analysis. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Welcome back, Marv Cook, for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's embarrassing loss to the Central Michigan Chippewas, and he previews the homecoming game against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. How is it excusable for an Iowa team, a Big Ten team, playing at home, fourth game of the season, to lose to a MAC team, Central Michigan, that's pegged to finish near or at the bottom of its own conference? It's kind of hard to understand. The positive element of this is the fact that Central Michigan has talented players. I mean, that's Coach Kelly at Notre Dame right now. Came from Central Michigan before he went to Cincinnati. They've had first-rounders come out of there. Uh, The left tackle, Joe Staley from the San Francisco 49ers, is a Central Michigan guy. I mean, they get talented talented football players. It's a lot like you and I. Iowa's, in in my opinion, is a phenomenal institution that that gets you in most households when you're recruiting. And, And you should have access to a lot of, you know, a lot of kids that want to be part of a Big Ten program. And ultimately, we should end up getting more of those athletes than Central Michigan gets. Unfortunately, Saturday, they made their athletes made more plays than our athletes did. And as Coach Ferentz said, they deserve to win. I think what's 
concerning to a lot of fans, and I would guess it is, it has to be to the coaching staff too, although they may never admit it publicly, is the fact that basically the Soldier Field game was a home game for Iowa. I mean, the Iowa fans far outnumbered the Northern Illinois fans in that game. And then you come in and your schedule sets up, as we previously discussed, uh, four straight home games. A lot of people very seriously thought this team would be 5-0 and coming out of this phase of their schedule. Instead, they go into the Minnesota game at 2-2. Two and two. And when I look ahead now at the conference schedule, I'm hard-pressed, absent some almost miraculous very quick improvement in almost all phases of this team, how it can even get to a 500 record. Our conference, our division of this conference isn't very stout. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, that's the Big Ten's probably down right now more than it ever has been. You know, I think Indiana, Minnesota's on the rise, uh, Purdue, you know, but there's, you know, Michigan State has looked beatable. Uh, You know, they don't look like the top 10 team that they started the season as. And, you know, so I mean, it's it's anybody's it's anybody's race, you know, and that's the great thing about the Big Ten season, and and you got to wash away what we're where we're at. We're basically everybody's zero and zero now going into the the first week of the Big Ten. So you know, Iowa still controls their own destiny from that standpoint, and and um, you know, I think you need to have 118 guys or how many guys you have in your roster that all believe that we're going to win the Big Ten championship and we're going to work to win the Big Ten championship. So there's a lot of a lot at stake because it, you know here's a here's a team that has beat us the last two years, Minnesota. And and if 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 we lose this game, then there's gonna be the 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 realization that Minnesota program is officially now in a better position than where we're at. And that that will be a discerning thing for Hawkeye fans and for the State of the Union of Iowa football. How hard is it thinking back when you're playing days and and even now when you deal with your Regina team, although you hardly ever have to deal with losses, how hard is it for kids to wash that away? I mean, the taste of that game last week has to be pretty sour. Yeah, you know, but, but, but ultimately the kids, the youth nowadays have played so many competitive games, whether it's basketball, you know, uh, baseball, you know, whatever sports they've been in, they've, they've been in soccer, they, they've played so many competitive environments that they learn to turn it on and off pretty quickly. Coach Ferentz's MO is that, you know, it's, you know, one play at a time and, and get better every day and, and kind of not get caught in that emotional roller coaster. So I, I think ultimately the habits and disciplines that they'll have in place that, that their, their Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week will look exactly like it looks in week 11 and look exactly like it did week one. So, you know, they're going to continue to go about their business and try to get better. So I think I think you can do it. I think ultimately the fact that now we are in conference play allows you to kind of do it a little bit as well. Because you, I mean, technically they still control BCS deal. Because if they win this their division, they play in the Big Ten championship game, they can still go to a BCS game. So as a player, that's what you want, and at least that's what you should want. So uh, I think it'll be easy for them to kind of put things behind them and get focused on Minnesota. I think most Iowa fans were feeling pretty good about the development of the young defense. They had improved every game so far, first three games in the season, looked to get stronger, particularly in the second half and fourth quarters, each of those games. And then they come into this game and pretty much get skewered by the Central Michigan offense. And I know Ed Podolak said on several occasions in the radio broadcast, they were making Radcliffe, the uh, Chippewas quarterback, look like Tom Brady. And then, of course, the defense breaks down at the two most critical points at the end of the game, the final touchdown drive for Central Michigan and then the drive that lets him kick the game-winning field goal. What? What did you see different in the defense last Saturday as opposed to what we'd seen earlier? Well, pressure on the quarterback. You know, I think uh, the, the Central Michigan was able to keep a clean pocket for the most part. 
and, and allow the quarterback the time to make those throws. You know, whether they were the corner routes, they were kind of running what we'd call a smack combination, a quick out with a corner over the top of it. And we were trying to get three or two and a half over two uh, type of coverage and the safety ultimately was having trouble getting down in that corner in the, on the corner route and then the corner was trying to fudge it the corner and the the out route underneath it so but they kept banging that that corner route in there quite a bit and then when our safeties did come down that's when they were able to double cut them and get the post route over the top on the play action so you know but but a lot of that's we just weren't able to create pressure the quarterback's able to get in a rhythm throw the ball out in time and, and complete a lot of passes and so ultimately we've got to find ways to create pressure with our front four and, and that helps us immensely when they can do that how much of that scheme versus personnel well i think if you have a very very athletic corner or, or receiver that's running that corner out he's a big tall guy and he's quick it puts a ton of stress on your safeties a ton because uh, you got to be able to come, you, you, you basically got half the field in that cover two back there. So you got to cover the corner and the post. And if you got a guy that can run it pretty good and that quarterback's banging it in there pretty hard, it's, it's pretty difficult to cover. It looks, and, and it's happened more than in more than one game so far this year, where Hitchens is, is looking, showing a lot of improvement. He's, um, you know, led the team in tackles again last Saturday, but he looks indecisive or out of position on those short passing plays the slants and maybe some others he he looks like he doesn't know which way to turn and a lot of times they're completing those little underneath routes to the guy he should be covering do you see anything going on there well i mean that's what a good that's what a good passing team will do is they'll run a three-on-two combination i mean they're going to try to create a zone you know it's like a west coast version of the passing game where you got three on two you're trying to get zones curls flats you know dig combinations behind it and it's going to create some confusion unless you really know where you're passing off to the inside guy and then you're then you're you know flying out to get underneath the curl so if you have any hesitation at all good teams are going to really take advantage of that so you know i think it's just a combination of when a quarterback's able to go through his progressions and then check it down he's going to ultimately they're going to find the open guy it's hard to cover guys for more than four and a half five seconds so uh ultimately if, you, if the if the pocket stays clean the quarterback is going to find the open guy eventually and and ultimately that's going to be a check down that's going to be in the linebacker zones if everything's covered down deep is that just something you think he'll get better at with experience? I think, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, eventually you'll see some baiting where he'll 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 pass and then and, and then bolt and try to fool the quarterback a little bit. He'll show one thing and then do the other and, and try to create some confusion in the quarterback's mind. But uh, you know, it's just a work in progress a little bit from from the, some of that underneath coverage stuff. I know Ference and Phil Parker in particular all last week, right up to the game, emphasized the defense starting better and stopping the opponent in their first drive and. In spite of that emphasis, Central Michigan was able to march right down the field and score right off the bat again. How do you correct that kind of a situation? Just keep banging at it, or um, that's all you can do, really. Um, you know, one thing is 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 everybody's scripting plays. So everybody is coming out with a game plan that says, okay, here's our first 10 or 12 plays. And what they're doing is they're putting together packages from what they've seen prior that says, okay, what'll put us in a position to be successful. So ultimately, the best thing you could do then to disrupt that package is be unpredictable in what you're doing, is show different coverages, is show different blitzes, is be in different fronts, block from a blocking standpoint as well. Now, you gotta be comfortable 
doing that. I mean, if you've never done played a five-man front or a three-man front, you've you got to be careful doing that stuff. Or if you're not comfortable playing man or man-free, that, that gets you out of some of that stuff. So, But that's how you ultimately disrupt a lot of those schemes, a lot of those opening, opening drives is by just bringing something that they haven't seen on film or something that looks a little bit different for them that's going to create confusion for them or showing them what they think they see and then getting into something else. Looks like they play very soft on opening drives. Very passive, I guess, maybe is a better term, which is exactly the opposite of what you were just saying, that they ought to be a little more maybe change up things or be a little more aggressive. Yeah, and then, and then ultimately... Um, you know, ultimately, there's still an element that the other team has to make. They'll have to make six or seven continual plays to move it down the field. I mean, we're still forcing them to throw the ball. We're still forcing them to, to complete it and do all those little things and, and hoping not for a batted ball or those types of things that keeps drives going. So, But, but we're starting to face good enough teams where they're going to be able to make those you know, those high percentage completions and move the chains and, and, and create field position and ultimately get points if we don't lock it down and tighten it up a little bit. This is sort of picking at a scab here, but what is it about the special teams play at Iowa or the schemes they're using or the coaches in charge of that piece that makes this team appear really vulnerable to uh, onside kicks or fake punts or last Saturday as everybody's been talking about that that was not conceivably that was no surprise plus because of the wind blowing the ball off the tee and that bizarre kind of officials not looking like they knew exactly how they should approach that and so the Iowa basically saw twice what the Chippewas were going to do and still couldn't do anything about it. Yeah uh, obviously you know, the statistics show you that if you do you onside kick five times, you're going to get half of them, or 42% or something like that. So they did it twice. They converted one of them. I mean, they're at 50%. Um, Fedorowicz was able to get the first one. I like front-line guys, and they're, in, they're designed to, to, one, get the ball, but two, to block if you can't get the ball. But we had two on three over there on the front, and then Fedorowicz was back, and he was back 10 yards behind those guys. So he was back 20 yards from the, from the original spot. And, you know, you got to be up in the mix. I mean, if, if they want to kick the ball 30 yards down the field, you still got 15-yard head start. You can go cover it, you know, or you got another guy back there. But, you know, get up in the mix. Uh, I would have liked to have seen two guys back there in the second line that could possibly get the ball in case they kicked it down the hash or outside the numbers. But, uh, I mean, it, it, don't get me wrong, it was well executed. I mean, they made good plays. Our, our front-line guys weren't able to get to them and block them uh, and cover them down, and the guy was able to cover it up and make the play. So, you know, it's a hit-miss play, but, um, you know, you want to make sure that you've given yourself the best possible possibility of success, and, and, and unfortunately, we, you know, I think we did ourselves a little bit of a disservice there. Do you think college teams in general, a lot of them, apparently the majority of them, don't have designated special teams coaches? They, they have a position coach who spends part of their time on special teams. Do you think play would be better if, if maybe they put more focus on special teams? I know you can only do so much in practices with kids going to school and stuff, yeah, too. I've, I've seen it both ways. Uh, I think there is an element that says if one guy accountable if one guy's the, the voice the kids know who to, go, who to go to where I've seen it the other way we have four different coaches involved in punt protection or whatever and that gets a little bit confusing at times but um, you know but ultimately you know special teams special teams it's the play when the ball is going you know you want to rush for 200 yards that's three punts you know or four punts I mean, think of the, the distance the ball's covering, not only on the punt, but then on the return back. I mean, so you could, you could be looking at 80, 90 yards, a change of field position on each punt, or kick even. And so those require special players. 
I mean, that's why they call them special teams. And, and, and the kids are getting more and more athletic where coverage teams are better, they're more athletic. But it, it's, it's still, there's an opportunity there because the ball is moving so much and you can create waves. You want to throw your best back at them and you want to attack them because you can create, you can gain 100 yards in one play. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a big play opportunity on kickoffs, punt returns, the same thing, and then it also gets the crowd involved and they go nuts. So we've got to strengthen that area of our game up and make that a plus for us, and, and make that a, you know, as you go through the checklist of where do we have edges, that, that's an area we need to make a positive for us because, like I said, field position changes so much on those plays. If you're opposing coaches preparing for Iowa now, I assume somewhere high on your list of things that you're probably going to want to try during a game is is that kind of of a thing and I'd say Minnesota's done it twice to the Hawkeyes in the last two years and here they come Saturday. Yeah. At times last week it looked almost like the coaching staff was indecisive or confused, undecided. It it happened on the play where they were gonna go for it on, on fourth down and in they were heading north into the pretty stiff breeze and then they changed their minds and send the kicking team out there and then later in the game on defense they came out of a timeout and had 13 guys on the field and had to take, I mean, that seems a little bit uncharacteristic, even with all the changes on the coaching staff for a Ferentz coach team, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it was out of, out of character. Uh, you know, those things happen, though. They might have gave us a different look. I, I do remember the, the, uh, the fourth down play looked like we were going to go for it, and then we called timeout and kicked a field goal, and actually the, the kicker made a great kick on it, and, and we got the point. So things happen. You know, there is some new elements involved as far as the mechanics of play calling uh, from both coordinators that I'm sure that they're still working out a little bit of the kinks and as far as the chain of command and communication and on, on especially big plays like that fourth down whether to go forward to fake to, to do all those things but um you know, ultimately, the good thing is, is those things didn't affect the outcome of the game, and it wasn't a big factor. But it, you, you never want to burn timeouts when you don't have to. Another great game by Mark Weisman, uh, over 200 yards. Although there's only been four Big Ten teams since 2005 to lose a game where they had a 200-plus yard rusher. Iowa's lost three of those, but you have to give a lot of credit to, to Weisman once again into the offensive line. They were opening humongous holes last yeah. Saturday. And, and you know, the, the, my favorite is the fourth and short play where it's a prototypical zone running team where if you get a back that runs hard enough, he's going to bust through those arm tackles, and that's exactly what he was able to do, and then he's into the next level. So uh, a great example of what the zone game can do for you. So it's one thing to have the 200-yard rusher, but then we had a, a very efficient quarterback that went 16-25 to 25 with no interceptions, and so there seems some ball security there that we seem to have, and, and, and to still not come out on the, on the winning side of that obviously was disappointing. But, you know, I, I would have never thought our defense would have given up this many points, you know, the way they had played the first three weeks especially. So Central Michigan found something and took advantage of it for sure. I know you're a big Vandenberg fan, and so is Kirk. Um, and he started out really – he he always seems to be a streaky kind of a player. And he started out hot last Saturday. I think he completed his first nine passes. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, this is going to be a really good game for him. And then he just fell apart after that the last three quarters. He had ac major accuracy issues. And this time, unlike the first three games, it didn't look like this was on the receiver. He was missing wide open guys. He was overthrowing badly. The one I saw, we had a fourth down and five or six, uh, and there was some confusion in the secondary, and we had threw, we threw a hitch on the outside, which normally is a good play on a fourth and short. 
but uh, Martin Manley was running right down the seam, and there was nobody on him. I mean, the safety was out of the mix. There was nobody in the sh- short underneath covered zone, and he just, I don't know if he just locked in, it's fourth and short, I'm throwing the hitch, or, or was advised to do that or what, but he missed, a, you know, a, literally a walk-in touchdown by Martin Manley on that, and if he went through his progressions, I think he would have saw it, but, but you know, yeah, you, you don't know what's being taught or, or, or told or whatever the situation is, but like I said, he might have been just thinking, i got to move the chains, get the first down, and try to take the easy throw, but, you know, those things happen, and um, sudden change, you know, I mean, you've got to be able to overcome certain things, the onside kick, the defense has still got to be able to come down and shut, shut down. The four personal fouls are extremely uncharacteristic. I know a lot of them seem petty, but you know what? Be above it. You know what I'm saying? There's just, don't do it. There's too much on this, you know, you're giving up 15 yards. There's too much at stake when you do that type of stuff. And just don't do it. But four of them, that's just too uncharacteristic for Iowa. How do you explain or how do you try to coach a streaky player, especially in a position like quarterback? I mean, is there anything, is that a mental thing for the, the kid or? Uh, yeah. You, you want to create rhythm. You want to create, you know, a, 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 a system that he's, he knows what's coming next. Okay. He knows that the, this route's going to lead to this route. This route's going to lead to this route. They cannot cover this. And, and then you have the mindset that they cannot cover these plays. And, and you know, so much of what we do is play action. It's, it takes longer. They're longer routes. You know, the throws get, need to be a little bit more crisper, you know. And so, you know, you just got to try to create a rhythm. I mean, we, we saw Vandenberg at his best when he's just slinging it, you know, when, when things are going, you know, balls being thrown every single time and he's got a little rhythm and it's just letting it go and letting it fly and and I know you don't want to play like that all the time but you've got to create your passing game that when he does go back and throw it he's in his rhythm and he's throwing the ball and he knows okay here's my progression bam 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 and I'm, the ball's out and we're moving the chains. After the Big Ten update Marv talks officiating Minnesota and Big Ten traditions. First down and 10 from the 12 yard line. Weissman again. Weissman to the outside to the his third rushing touchdown of the day. And Mark Weissman may have just pushed Iowa to a victory as he gets his third score with just 2.18 to go. And the angry Iowa running back Hayden God has not found Weissman yet as he stepped in for injury and steps into the end zone three more times today. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. In our Big Ten update this week, most teams have completed the non-conference portion of their schedules and now start head-to-head matchups. The reputation of the conference has taken some hits so far this year, with a mediocre record against FBS opponents and some very bad performances against ranked teams. Even some of the games conference teams have won have been nail-biters or sloppy against significantly overmatched opponents. So now Big Ten teams will start slugging it out against each other, and given what's transpired so far this year, especially 
especially with Ohio State on probation and ineligible for anything, there is the potential, at least, that most teams might have a chance within their own divisions. While there are three teams that are 4-0, and including the Buckeyes, the other two, Northwestern and Minnesota, don't yet appear to be quite juggernauts. Probably the best two teams in the conference right now are Nebraska and Michigan State, and unfortunately for Iowa, they're both in the Legends division. Meanwhile, the most improved team in the conference is likely the Golden Gophers, who come into Kinnick Stadium this weekend on a roll and with a lot of confidence. The two most embarrassing losses last week were Iowa's to Central Michigan and Illinois losing at home to Louisiana Tech. And in the only game involving ranked opponents last Saturday, Michigan lost at home to Notre Dame. And in that game, the Wolverines' vaunted offense, led by quarterback Denard Robinson, only scored six points. Divisional play starts this Saturday. In addition to Iowa hosting Minnesota, Penn State travels to Illinois in a leaders' division contest. Two games may show a lot early about the strength of the teams involved. Wisconsin travels to Lincoln to play Nebraska, and Michigan State hosts Ohio State in East Lansing. Both of those will be featured on ABC national telecasts. The other game that might be interesting is Indiana at Northwestern, as both of those teams rank in the top five in the Big Ten in scoring and total offense. Since this is only the second year with Big Ten divisions, we'll remind you of the way it works. Each team will play its five division rivals once, plus each team will face three teams from the other division, including the guaranteed so-called rival. Remember, in Iowa's case, that is Purdue. Divisional record plays an important role in deciding who plays in the conference championship game, as it is the second tiebreaker behind head-to-head results. Some interesting rankings in NCAA statistics this week. Iowa is 25th in total defense. Minnesota ranks 22nd. The Hawkeyes are 30th in rush defense. Minnesota is 24th in pass defense and 30th in scoring defense. The Gophers' D.L. Wilhite ranks 17th in sacks per game. Anthony Hitchens is 4th nationally and leads the Big Ten in tackles per game, while James Morris is 21st. And Joe Gaglione, who needs to have a big game this Saturday, is 26th in tackles per loss per game. And Minnesota's quarterback, Max Shortell, ranks 26th in pass efficiency. Incidentally, with Iowa playing Minnesota in the month of September for the first time ever for Floyd of Rosedale, the battle for the bronze pig also marks the first of the Big Ten's 16 traditional trophy games this season. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times, and listen to Brent Balbinad on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinad and Brommel Camp Show, weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. Chancho, when you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. It's for fun. Thank you. 
Next, Marv Cook discusses officiating, the Minnesota game, playing with passion and traditions in the Big Ten. I had officiating fifth on my own list of reasons why Iowa struggled Saturday. Certainly the personal fouls were a major issue, but and, and that whole thing has received a lot of attention. But I just, in passing, will say this. It's probably one of the best arguments for never having an officiating crew that's mixed from three conferences because they also looked like they weren't certain what was happening or lacked significant consistency throughout that game, really. I was joking that the NFL had slipped in some of their crews to get them some more experience. But uh, but uh, no, I mean it, it happens. I, I, I thought they were real tight, and I thought they, they, there's some holding calls that they called against Central Michigan. I thought were pretty marginal. It's just, it, those things have a tendency to kind of work their way out in the wash a little bit. But you know, it's the ones that are self-inflicted, the ones that you just can't. You just you have to, you know. And I know a lot of times they're retaliatory. They're, he said something to me. Well, so what? You know, or you know, he disrespected me. So what? You just let's line up and play. Yeah, the one that probably got the most attention was the call on Joe Gaglione and that last drive and watching that both on a replay and live that lineman who was 300 plus pounds was mugging him I mean it should have been that was an egregious non-holding call and then he he body slammed him basically flopped on top of him down there and then Gaglione later said he was gouging him in the eye too and not letting him up I mean okay you're a 21 year old kid or something how as a football player I know you're supposed to you know just say okay get up and walk away but that's got to be pretty damned hard doesn't it when you're (laughs) in the heat yeah yeah it is and I've always said that the best way to the best way to, to, to handle situations like that is when the gun sounds and the final play's over and you walk through the line, you shake their hand, one person better be glad the game's over, okay? And it better be the other guy. You know, that's how you handle that. And so, you know, you don't handle it with punches and shoves and talking smack and all that stuff. You just handle it by playing. And unfortunately, like I said, we came out on the wrong side of those things. Minnesota, definitely an improved team under Jerry Kill's second year. Solid coach, good coaching staff. It looks like he's put together there. They're especially doing well on defense. They come in 4-0. They held Floyd of Rosedale now for two consecutive years. Likely without their starting quarterback, but the backup looked to be pretty good two games he's played. What's your overall sense of Minnesota right now? They're a team on the rise. You know, I mean, I, I know the one comment that I've heard is they felt like they're faster and they feel like they're way better athletically than they have been in the past. Uh, so I didn't really feel like they feel like they've made some hay the last two years recruiting. And, um, you know, to compete in the Big Ten, you need to be athletic. So I think they're starting and get the personnel in there that they want to have and, and the system that they, they know they're, they're going to be successful with. And as you mentioned, they are very, very sound defensively. So, you know, it's going to be a great challenge for Iowa. I'm still wearing the rose-colored glasses, and I'm not going to lie to you. I still think these this is a group of guys that are great football players that can make plays that need to just start making them. You know, they need to put 60 minutes together, continually play together as a team, and, and, and get back to contesting every single square inch on that field and, and, and find ways to win. When I was growing up here, it was this was like the big rivalry game for Iowa. And, and you know, the years have passed. Iowa's developed some pretty hot rivalries with other teams, particularly Wisconsin. The fans have aged. And, and it, it, is it the rivalry game? Do you think that the team treats it as the rivalry game it used to be? No. Fans may. A portion of the fans may. And, and this is what this is what's wrong with college football. This is what's wrong with the BCS in that this game is huge. I mean, this the history of this game is amazing. And, and, and a course that kids should take, and I don't know if you can get credit for it, but it's Big Ten history 101. I mean, I mean, this thing's been going on forever. It's so important. It's 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 chance going one and zero. I mean, it, there's just so many other parameters involved in this football game. And then to, to, to see the, the news today that Michigan Notre Dame is now foregoing that rivalry, and it's it's going to be gone. And we need to cherish Big Ten.
been rivalries for every single one that there are, and especially some of these ones that have been going on for a long time, and, and let our kids understand that history of, of all the players that have played in this game in the years and the decades. And, and, and you have to, now unfortunately we haven't been able to look at it, but I remember when I used to look at Floyd Rosedale, I look at all the other games that have been played. And, and it's just, it, I mean, that, that's the history of that is, it's, you know, I'm getting kind of quirky here, but I mean, that's that's why you play this game. And and, and so ultimately, I mean, I, I just, I love the fact that we're open with Minnesota. Usually, you know, it's always used to be at the end of the year. Now it's the beginning of the year. It is what it is. But it's still, you know, someone needs to sit down with these kids and explain to them some of those games in the past and, and who's played in these games, you know, and what they've been able to go on and do with their life and how it all kind of ties together that the University of Iowa, you know, it, it truly is a situation where you're, you're wearing, you're playing for the, the name on the front of the jersey versus the name on the back of the jersey a lot of times and, and just get into that moment of it and that's 60 minutes and understand when it's done, it's done. There, there's nothing you can do about it after it's over. So you got to do everything you possibly can now to make sure that you get you come out on the right side of it and, and uh, then you're a part of history going forward. Yeah, given everything else that's going on right now, you know, last week's game and the non-conference season, the fact that the trophy case is empty here in Iowa City, I'm, I'm sure that's in the back of the, their minds, but not, you know, preeminent right now. But the Minnesota coaching staff and sports information up there and, and everyone surrounding that program are featuring the Floyd of Rosedale trophy and pictures that's sitting in the middle of their locker room when they come in and out of practices. I mean, obviously they're emphasizing it pretty significantly this week. And, and, and to me, every game in the Big Ten should have that flavor. I mean, and I know you can't have, you know, wooden axes and, you know, old, you know, buckets and stuff like Purdue and Indiana. But, but, but I mean, it, it truly is amazing that, that this conference is a great conference. And I, I heard Gary Barter speak last Friday about the brand of the Big Ten and would they ever change the name of the Big Ten because there's 12, 12 schools. The Big Ten, it is, this is it. This is what it is. And, and so, you know, it's exciting from that standpoint. I'm glad we got them at home. And, and uh, you know, we, we've got to find a way to play better and, and to find a way to win. Specifically, what will you be looking for Saturday, both offense and defense? I want to see if Marquise Gray is going to be playing. You know, it sounds like it's questionable well, whether Kilt said to he indicated in his press conference, no, but okay. you know, who knows when well, Saturday if, actually if, rolls if, around. If the backup was the guy that came in and played against USC last year, late when, when Gray went out, this kid was good. It was a true freshman last year. If it's the same guy, this kid can play. This kid can throw it. Um, and like I said, I mean, when you hear Coach Keel mention that they're more athletic than they have been and they like their, their skilled positions, you know, that's going to pose a big challenge for the Hawks. So um, what I'm going to look for is, you know, one, the ability to continue to run the football for the Hawks. Uh, that's going to set up a lot of our stuff. I'm getting tired of saying that we need big plays. You know, we need block punt. We need a pick six. We need, you know, a safety. We need a kick return, a punt return. Those types of things that get the crowd going and get, you know, the energy feeding up and, and ultimately take more pressure off your defense and offense. And, and, and hopefully we can get some of those plays. But, you know, running the ball, establishing the run, and then two defensively, we've got to match up with their athleticism. I mean, that's, that's my biggest concern. Is, is that some of these teams are going to be good at spreading teams out and finding the isolation and then working the isolation. And if we cannot pressure, if we can't press the pocket and create you know an uncertain throwing environment back there for the quarterback, then it could be a long day because these guys can throw it. Seems odd to say this, but then it's odd to have Minnesota and Iowa playing in September. But does this game almost have the feel to it, to you, to be a must-win game for Iowa or close to it? Uh, yeah, and I don't know if you can ever say must-wins. I mean, but but in, in my opinion, from as 
I mentioned right from the get-go, if, if you lose the last three to Minnesota, then it's going to open up questions of what, which program is, you know, what which way the direction the program is moving. Are we keeping up with the Minnesotas and, and Purdue's and those programs? And and, and so you, you don't even want to think about that stuff, but that's, you know, that's what we do as analysts now and, and uh, reporters. But, but ultimately, they can go out and beat Minnesota by 40. I mean, I know they can do it. I know they have the personnel to do it, and it's just a matter of getting on the same page and getting it done. And, and that's been the biggest frustration for me is to sit and watch us muddle through four games. And, you know, in my opinion, the Hawks should have won each one by 20, if not more. Now, that's probably just craziness, but, I mean, that's probably just me being drinking the Kool-Aid. But, but that's the way I feel about this team. I mean, from the personnel I've seen, the, the way I've seen guys go about their business and at times showcase their skill set, you know, it's just a matter of doing it for 70 plays versus doing it for 10. Prediction? I think the Hawks can win by two touchdowns. I mean, I really think that they're going to clean it up and Kinnick Stadium is going to be a great deal. The fall weather's starting to come in and football season's starting to get here. And, you know, I think I was, you know, defense is going to take the lessons of last week and not pressuring the quarterback. We're going to find ways to get to this guy and, and um, you know, get him on the ground. So ultimately, I think I was, you know, going to win this thing probably 24-14. Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now. Officially a 47-yard try for Mike Meyer. A line drive kick into the wind, and it just clears the crossbar, and Meyer gives the Hawkeyes the lead. Excellent job by number 96, Mike Meyer, 8 for 9 on field goals on the year so far, comes up with a big one for the Hawkeyes. Mike Meyer kicks the Hawkeyes into the lead. Didn't have much more than he needed, but he had enough. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week, and as always, special thanks to Marv Cook. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.